Hello and welcome to Sparkle Tax Time Capsule, a weekly handful of the weird and wonderful happenings that have made San Francisco, San Francisco. It's the week of November 10th through the 16th. November 10th, 1849. In the closing days of 1848, President Polk sent a message to Congress confirming the discovery of gold in California. This marked the beginning of the gold rush from the East Coast. By June of 1849, there were already about 200 ships floating deserted in the harbor, abandoned by gold-seeking crews. On this date, November 10, 1849, the collector of the Port of San Francisco filed an official report stating that since April 1st, 697 ships had already arrived. For the record, 401 of these were American vessels, and the remaining 296 had sailed in from foreign shores. This brings to mind the famous daguerreotypes of Yerba Buena Harbor looking like a burned-out forest of ship masts, but searching for that little item led me serendipitously to another. This next piece is a far more interesting story, and one that took place just seven years later. November 15, 1856. It was the era of the tall-masted clipper ship, an era of speed, adventure, and danger, with every trip around the horn a race against time, other ships, and the odds. In late June of 1856, three clippers cleared New York Harbor and set off for the race to San Francisco Bay. One of these, Neptune's car, was captained by Joshua Patton. This was to be Captain Patton's second voyage on this vessel, the first having been a memorable one. It had been his maiden command, and he'd made the 15,000-mile trip from New York Harbor round the horn to the Golden Gate in a mere 100 days, 23 and a half hours, a time as good or better than the fastest clippers on the water. Even more interestingly, the promising young sailor had refused to accept the command until the shipping company allowed him to sail with his new wife, Mary. Though no one yet knew it, this was to be Mary's story. Mary Ann Patton was a slim, dark-haired young woman of 19, the daughter of a Boston shipbuilder. Despite what's been described as her delicate femininity, Mary hadn't hesitated in joining her husband on that first grueling year-long voyage, which charted a course not only to the Golden Gate, but across the Pacific, on to Hong Kong, to London, and then back across the Atlantic to New England, all the way around the world. The couple had taken a few months off, but soon it was time again to sail. This time, Captain Patton was planning to set a speed record to San Francisco, and so was the shipping company. In fact, they'd given Patton strict orders that, under no circumstances, was the ship to be taken into any other port than San Francisco. This emphasis on speed was more than a matter of bragging rights. If your ship was the fastest, you ended up with the fattest contracts. This was a simple economic fact. Captain Patton's personal lust for speed was such that he'd already developed a reputation for running up maximum sail no matter what the weather. Described as prone to keep as much sail aloft as he could, right up to the point of disaster. His first mate on this voyage disagreed with this daring strategy. In fact, he disagreed with just about every order the young captain gave. On the night watch, as Patton slept, the first mate began arbitrarily pulling down the sails, talking trash to the rest of the crew, and even started sleeping on the job. Reports would later characterize this behavior as sullenness and neglect of duty, and the captain was forced to toss the man into the brig. 
The timing could not have been worse. The ship had just entered the cold, violent waters near Cape Horn, and the second mate was no navigator. Under the circumstances, sleep became a luxury that Captain Patton could no longer grant himself, so he propped his eyelids open and piloted the clipper around the clock. Fatigue gradually ground away the already weary man's strength, and as Neptune's car passed through the Straits of Le Maire, Patton collapsed, struck down by the Victorian period's favorite all-purpose malady, brain fever. With the first mate locked away, then the second mate incompetent to navigate, Neptune's car was doomed. Or was it? On Joshua and Mary Patton's first round-the-world voyage, the stretch across the Pacific to Hong Kong had been mind-numbingly slow. In San Francisco, Neptune's car had been challenged to another race, but with virtually no wind in the sails, the contest had become more of a drifting match. The ship was becalmed for weeks at a time, and the intelligent and curious Mary was bored out of her mind. At her wit's end, she began to pass the time by learning her husband's trade, boxing the compass, using a sextant to determine latitude, understanding maps and navigational tables, interpreting charts of wind patterns and currents. By the time they returned to New England, the girl knew just about as much about sailing as her husband did. Thus it came to pass that in the midst of howling winds, creaking masts, and with 60-foot waves crashing over freezing decks, 19-year-old Mary Ann Patton took sole command of the massive clipper. From the brig, the first mate began to incite mutiny, demanding that the crew steer the ship as best they could to the nearest port. Mary assembled the men on the quarterdeck and made her case. She informed them of the seriousness of her husband's condition of her own recent mastery of the art of navigation, and of the shipping company's orders to sail on to San Francisco. We'll never know precisely how she pulled this off, how this petticoat-wearing slip of a girl gained the confidence of a hard-bitten group of professional sailors. But to a man, they swore to stand by her all the way to the Golden Gate. For the next month and a half, Mary didn't sleep, barely ate, and hadn't even time to change her clothes. As waves battered the ship, she divided her days and nights between giving orders and making nautical observations up on deck, making meticulous navigational calculations in her cabin, and tending to her delirious husband. By this point, despite Mary's frantic examination of the ship's medical library, Captain Patton had lost his sight and hearing. A month and a half, fifty long, incredibly difficult days on the roughest seas on the planet, and have I mentioned that she was six months pregnant? Though this story still seems amazing, the crew supported Mary's command completely, following every order to the letter and trusting her judgment unconditionally, and their trust was finally proven to be well-placed. On November 15, 1856, Neptune's car arrived safely in the waters outside of San Francisco Bay. Mary Ann Patton had not only charted a perfect course, but in the race from New York Harbor, remember that? She'd actually come in second place, beating the third ship by weeks. The act of actually sailing through the Golden Gate was a notoriously tricky business, but Mary was now a confident woman of the sea. As San Francisco newspapers told it, with a steady hand she took the helm herself and steered the vessel safely into port. 
Gold Rush San Francisco went wild with excitement over Mary's heroic achievement, with newspapers naming her the heroine of Cape Horn and the Florence Nightingale of the Ocean. News of her exploits made it back to New England, and the New York Daily Tribune described her as being among the noble band of women who, by their heroic bearing, under great trial and suffering, have won for themselves imperishable fame. I'd love to give you a Hollywood happy ending to this stirring tale, but it just can't be done. The mutinous first mate escaped into the wilds of frontier San Francisco. Captain Patton died of his illness. And Mary, the woman who had defied the expectations of her gender, of Victorian culture, and challenged the ocean itself, died alone, and despite that imperishable fame, destitute just a few years later. I'm feeling a little sentimental now, so let me propose a toast to her memory. To Mary, the heroine of Cape Horn. That's it for the week of November 10th through the 16th, 2008. Tune in next Monday for another time capsule dredged up from the kaleidoscopic depths of San Francisco history. You can learn more about Mary Patton in a fantastic online book called The Era of the Clipper Ships. There's a link to that at sparkletech.com. I've got a special note today. Chris over at the Wonderful Amateur Traveler podcast recorded an interview with me a couple of weeks ago and he's just posted it online. I actually haven't heard the show yet, but we had such a good time recording that I'll just take a chance and mention it. I'm sure he's done his usual excellent job of editing my babbling, so check it out. It's episode 159 at AmateurTraveler.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time.